0: To Southgate Vibes, a selection of the latest stories direct from Southgate Amateur Radio News. I'm Steve Richards, Gulf 4 Hotel Papa Echo, and in this podcast you're going to hear my personal picks of what is happening in amateur radio and the wider world of communications. Whether you're just starting out in ham radio, or an experienced operator spinning around the spectrum for those rare and sometimes strange signals... I hope you'll find something to entertain you here. Welcome to Southgate Vibes. Hello to you, faithful listenership. Or maybe it's your first time of delving into Southgate vibes. Either way, it's great to have you along as we stroll the darkest recesses of radio and communication. We're very pleased to be ranked in the top 250 technical podcasts by Apple. And latest feedback suggests several hundred downloads a week and we're being heard in around 30 countries. So wherever you are, thank you for tuning in. Well, the winter is certainly here, and my mobile phone has just popped up a red weather warning. That's pretty rare for strong winds in the northeast of England. These warnings are not taken lightly by radio amateurs, because they often have quite high wire or beam antennas, and if that lot comes crashing down, it can make one hell of a mess. I have a personal rule of thumb, which is that if my weather station reports wind gusts of more than 25 miles per hour, I go out to the distant fir tree and release the pulley on my high doublet antenna to lower it safely down. The funny thing is, even with the antenna that close to the ground compared to its usual 12 metre height, it performs pretty well. Under the new EMF legislation in the UK, you just then have to be careful not to fry the gardener, or the station manager, or the XYO, or wifey, as she's better known. Right, before I feel the hard end of the rolling pin, let's wallow in the warm, smelly mud that is radio. Have you got your cosy on? Right, let's dive, dive, dive. You know by now that it was in early 1921 that a group of radio amateurs conducted tests across the Atlantic to prove that shortwave signals were capable of long-range propagation. I had not realised until I researched this next item that the authorities were being a tad beastly to radio hams in America and had chucked them off the long and medium wave bands and up into the shortwave instead, thinking that shortwaves were of no commercial benefit. How wrong they were! The Antique Wireless Museum has released a video of a talk given by Edward Gable, Kilo 2 Mike Pupper, and Mark Erdl, Alpha Echo 2, Echo Alpha, about the successful amateur radio transatlantic tests of 1921. In America, at the beginning of the 20th century, amateur radio operators had been exiled to wavelengths shorter than 200 metres, that's frequencies above 1.5 megahertz, as part of a power play by large communication companies and the United States government, who wanted to set aside what they thought was the most desirable radio spectrum for themselves. This left the shortwave wasteland above 1.5 MHz to HAMS. But in 1921, a small group of radio amateurs performed an experiment that proved HAMS really had the better end of the deal after all. We now know, of course, that shortwave communication is much more capable than medium and longwave communication. In their talk, Ed and Mark tell the story of the transatlantic tests of 1921, which were conceived by radio amateurs and proved that even with modest equipment, the Atlantic Ocean could be spanned with shortwave signals, opening up improved communications for many more purposes. These higher frequencies had been considered useless by commercial and governmental interests, resulting in the Radio Act of 1912 banning amateur radioactivity in the spectrum below 1.5 MHz. As a result of the successful efforts of radio amateurs in the transatlantic test project, over the last 100 years many experimenters and inventors became focused on continually improving wireless technologies and devices. The direct results of that research and innovation are the smartphone, smart watches, smart TVs, wireless internet routers, GPS tracking devices and Bluetooth headsets, all of which depend on wireless technologies. Those pioneers 100 years ago could never have envisioned the way society has been enabled and transformed by wireless. For more information, visit 1BravoCharlieGolf.org, 1BCG.org, and you can watch Triumph of the Amateurs, the Transatlantic Tests of 1921, by searching Triumph of the Amateurs on YouTube. You are listening to Southgate Vibes with me, Steve, G4 Hotel Papa Echo. Thinking of long wave reminds us that a lot of broadcasting started on those sorts of low frequencies. Even to this day, there are still quite a few broadcasters who maintain long wave services, including Radio 4 here in the UK. Well, one reason may be that a single long wave transmitter can cover the whole of the UK pretty effectively, even if you're hiding in the cupboard under the stairs at the time. It may also be because the BBC's long-wave transmitter modulates its carrier wave to a pre-agreed code that instructs domestic electricity meter installations. Don't believe me? Well, get a long-wave receiver capable of single sideband reception and tune to the 198kHz carrier. You will hear that the carrier is not a constant tone as expected, but is warbling with data. Having said that, the chances are that long-wave broadcasting, indeed much of analogue amplitude modulation broadcasting, is nearing the end of its life, with governments keen to push listeners to FM, or even more likely, digital radio services. Anyway, keeping the heyday of AM radio in mind, and particularly enjoying the physical beauty of old radio receiver designs, a radio amateur in France is building his collection. France 3 TV reports on a keen radio enthusiast, Bernard Potin, Foxtrot 6 Charlie November Delta, who has amassed more than 500 wireless sets. Bernard has been collecting old radio sets for 20 years. In the garage of his house in Bouquigny, close to the Champagne region of Épernay, he stores this remarkable collection. He spends hours in his garage repairing his radios. The oldest types can only pick up long wave. Bernard has been passionate about radio since childhood. He said that at his parents' house, they had radio receivers and he could listen to amateur radio. That is where his passion was born. He became a radio amateur in 1972 and then he started to develop his collection. Bernard sometimes manages to receive BBC programmes on Longwave from the United Kingdom, but usually very weekly. Challenged by television and replaced by transistor radios, the old valve wireless sets are counting down the last hours of reception on the long waves. His collection has grown over the years, and he now has 500 items. He said that he would buy an old radio set because he finds it beautiful. It's the shape, it's the wood, it's the Bakelite. Each manufacturer competed in imagination to come out with very beautiful things, he explained. The retiree is still crisscrossing France in search of any receiver which is missing from his collection. He said that originally you could find a lot of old radios in village flea markets, but now you're more likely to find them at auctions in the Paris region. The other method is to buy up collections belonging to parents whose children are no longer interested in playing with radio. I have at length, at great length, banged on about the biggest intruder in the radio amateur bands, over-the-horizon radar. These are wideband shortwave transmissions, extremely strong, and they crop up wherever they want, sometimes for a few hours and sometimes for a few days. Nobody seems able or interested in stopping them, and they're clearly picking HF frequencies to suit their purposes in achieving a particular range. You would think that it is antiquated to place these new technologies on the old shortwave spectrum, but of course it is the -the over-the-horizon nature of shortwave signals which is attractive. It turns out that these systems can provide very sharp images of missiles and aircraft, which satellite-based radar systems currently cannot. So I don't think we're likely to see any decline in over-the-horizon radar on shortwave. And indeed, this next story delivers the dismaying story that yet another country plans to blast the shortwave bands with their latest invention. It would seem that this part of the spectrum, which is so well understood, is still yielding new uses. A report on the Alpha Defence website suggests that India may be building its own shortwave over-the-horizon radar. In a big development, the premier radar development lab of the Indian Defence Research and Development Organisation is working on an over-the-horizon radar system to keep a close eye on Chinese movement in the Indian Ocean region. The Indo-Pacific is now turning out to be the most important part of the world today. For India, this part of the world is even more important, as it's firmly in India's backyard. The specialist lab within the organisation, called the Electronics and Radar Development Establishment, works in the area of design and development of ground-based, ship-borne and airborne complex radar systems and related technologies. Currently, it's also developing technologies for space-based radars. But it's also working on an over-the-horizon radar prototype, The lab is responsible for development of cutting-edge radar technology and is working with its partners to realise an over-the-horizon radar prototype in the coming six months. The system design is already complete and it's now entering prototype realisation stage. The prototype radar will have two different types of antenna arrays. It will use a wire log periodic antenna array and a broadband monopole array. It's believed that the log-periodic antenna array will be used to identify the best frequency to use. You can read more on this story at alphadefence.in. Just search for the -the over-the-horizon radar story. You're listening to Southgate Vibes with me, Steve, G4 Hotel Papa Echo. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a comment or a question, pop us over an email. Our address is vibes at southgatearc.org. That's vibes at southgatearc.org. You never know, we might feature your message in a future edition. Well, much as I might like to resist it, one cannot deny that Father Christmas exists. And this time of year is his party time. And Santa is perfectly capable of moving with the Times and has already got a plan in place to get round the coronavirus pandemic. The Times Call website reports that as the coronavirus pandemic continues for a second holiday season, some of Santa's earthly helpers are assuring that children will still get the chance to tell old St Nick what they want for Christmas in a safe, distanced way. After devising a plan last year to connect Santa Claus with children via ham radio, the Longmont Amateur Radio Club of Colorado in the United States is once again reserving some airtime for Kris Kringle. Children will be able to talk with Santa Claus from 5 to 7pm on Sundays and 6 to 7pm on Mondays, right through until December the 3rd. Chuck Poch, the radio club president, said that last year the club was able to connect 34 children with Santa Claus, including one from Ohio and one from Canada. With opportunities to visit with Santa Claus last year lessened because of concerns about the spread of coronavirus, the club still wanted to give children the chance to participate in the tradition in a safe way. Potch of Firestone said that they wanted to extend that opportunity this year. He said, I think hopefully it will still give children a little cheer to know that Santa is out there. You may not be able to see him in person and sit on his lap, but you can get on the air and talk to him. And at least you know he's there. Longmont Club's Steve Haverstick of the club's publicity committee said that he knows how much getting to talk to Santa Claus on the air meant to the kids last year when many holiday traditions were stymied because of the pandemic. That's what sparked this whole Santa on the air thing, Haverstick said. It was also an opportunity for amateurs in the background to coach the children in the art of good communication. Santa Claus himself, who is also known as John Chilson, by the way, has kindly agreed to help the club with its mission. And Santa's call sign will be November 0 Papa. Potch said that he believes that talking with Santa Claus on the air will help spark some young interest in ham radio operation. He added that the knowledge of the technology and engineering that goes into amateur radio operations can be used for more than just a hobby, including helping to transmit important information in emergency situations when internet and cell phone towers aren't working. Indeed, Longmont's club, which is made up of 163 members, continues to work with Longmont's Office of Emergency Management to teach interested parties about ham radio and how to get a licence from the Federal Communications Commission, which is the American regulator. If you think about it, ham radio is the original social distancing, Poch said. It's over 100 years old. It was around way before Facebook or similar things came along. There's a long history behind it, and it's a lot of fun. Potch said that it's important to keep that history. Anyone can become a radio amateur. You've just got to pass the test and get a licence. You can read the full Times Call article at www.timescall.com. Well, that's it for this time. You've been listening to Southgate Vibes, stories about amateur radio and the world of communications from Southgate Amateur Radio News. You can find these stories and many more daily reports at our website, southgatearc.org. Don't forget, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch by sending an email to vibes at southgatearc.org. So until next time, this is Steve Richards, G4 Hotel Papa Echo, signing off and wishing you best 7-3.